are Trisden and Ray. Having lived and spent time on the coasts and in rural Appalachia, we feel like we have a unique perspective on most topics. Working to find the common sense middle in a country becoming more and more polarized. Welcome to Extreme Common Sense with Trisden and Ray. What's up, Ray? Hello, Trisden. How's it going, man? Good Christmas? The easy, the easy answer is yes. The honest answer is it was pretty miserable. A little stomach flu, in bed all day, a couple of visits to the bathroom. It was oh, not a no. great Christmas day. We actually oh, moved gift-giving to uh, the 26th. Patty and the kids wow. went over to my mother-in-law's and had their prime rib dinner, and I laid it home. There was a lot of football on. There was a lot of football on, uh, as I found out, on Christmas Day. That's good, at least. So what got you? Do you know what made you so sick? Stomach bug, you know? It wasn't really the flu because it wasn't muscle aches. It was just uh, um, a lot of, uh, you know... <laughs> These are not polite conversations, Drew. So, Ray, a are you washing your hands? A lot of people have started skipping washing their hands after the initial COVID burst, and we got to stick with the hand washing. Are, are, not you, good. are you good? I do, and I actually sing happy clean? birthday. Did you, do you know that? If you sing happy birthday yes. to me three times, that's what that's what Dr. Fauci told me, and I still do that. Happy yeah. birthday three times, and your hands are supposed to be clean. But no, it was just one of those things. We have, we've had a couple of people here at work call in. I think it just kind of went through, and it's just not fun. It's just so miserable. There are a few things worse than the old uh, diarrhea. Not pleasant. <laughs> it sounded like but I, I, Trisden, diarrhea, it get you, not pleasant. No, it will get you out of anything. If you tell us if you don't want to do something, just tell them, eh, a little diarrhea. They're like, fine, just stay home. That is You're a good. powerful no word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Helpful things from extreme common sense. If you want to have diarrhea. Yeah. So you, did you have a nice point. Christmas? Yeah, man, it, it was good. You know, it was such a busy December, and it feels like it's busier every year. But uh, so you kind of, as you're enjoying all the get-togethers and so much stuff with friends and family, like you can't wait kind of for it to be over to really just catch up and, and right. kind of have some peace at home. So, yeah, the combination of being excited to be going, you know, 90 miles an hour, and then also equally excited to kind of now be past it and, and be taking a little break. So, yes. So now you're half Jewish. Do you just... Like decorate half the tree. Well, we only buy half a tree, so <laughs> and you so, get a good we, price on it. <laughs> you get a better price, and you flip it around, and we've merged a menorah into the other half. So through Hanukkah, we just light it and hope the tree doesn't catch fire. And then after Hanukkah, we just switch it back. Oh, so, yeah, it's pretty nice, and and I believe in none of it. So ironically enough, uh, it's just all for show and happiness. Uh, no religious. You know, ideology <laughs> whatsoever with it. I just like the presence and the look of it. So, well, I'm not sure. I think the show will actually air after New Year's, if I'm right. But um, um, we can drop it know, whenever we, we want. But yeah, to appease Troy, we should do it. We, you know, yeah, after so we still have New Year's ahead of us. So uh, happy New Year! Happy New Year! Couple to of you. days away, and we've got a yeah. guest today, Dresden, which is cool. Very exciting guest. Yeah, a guest that I've been trying to get on for a long time. This is my nephew. Uh, I can do the math. I think I'm 12 years older than Scott. I was born in 60 and Scott in 72, so we obviously grew up together. Scott would be my oldest sister, Kathy's son, and uh, he can tell you his age, but I think he hit the half-century mark. And Scott has been practicing law for 25 years in Washington, D.C., and uh, I'm excited to talk with him about law. And uh, Scott, welcome. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate being on. Ah, it's our pleasure, man. Thanks for doing it. I'm glad you could find some time and sneak it in between the holidays. And uh, do you have a good Christmas? I had a great Christmas. I did. I will say to pick up on your beginning there. So I have a, I was telling you, I have a nine-year-old son and a five-year-old, and my wife is Jewish, um, but neither of us are religious. And he just doesn't understand why he doesn't get presents for both Hanukkah and Christmas. And that's all he can <laughs> <laughs> but, Nice. Uh, he asked me about both, but... But nine and five awesome. are fun ages. That's still a fun Christmas. It's fun. It is. It's yeah. good. They still believe, you know, certainly the five-year-old, the nine-year-old's a little bit like, hey. That's the age, man. That's the age where you, like, talk yourself into one more year. Yep. We got, you know, we have a, the gas fireplace that doesn't open. You flip a switch. And he says, oh, understand. There you go. And, you know, how he does opens the gate, and he's really fat, and, and this doesn't make any sense. You know, and, and, we're, and we're at least saying, look, Ethan, don't say it in front of your sister. Because he's like, right. oh, 
you know, he'd be too fat to get down. And I looked That's up, it. you know, so <laughs> you, you can almost recall that. And it is right around nine, eight, nine, ten. You maybe talk yourself into one more year, but you start having these realizations like, wait a minute, this <laughs> doesn't work. This yeah. doesn't work. Yeah, that is so true. Yeah, and then you do have to hope that they keep the secret from the younger ones. That's great. That. We did it. I don't know if you remember this. This is you guys, you both have older kids, I guess, but NORAD is a website where you can yes. track Santa. Yes. Right and it's fun to watch, but it's a cartoon and it tracks how many presents he's delivered. And it's, we looked at it and it was like 49 billion. And my son goes, <laughs> now there's no way 49 billion presents fits in that bag. You know? <laughs> May have another lawyer in the making, Scott. Uh, I don't, very I true. Not. <laughs> that is great. Yeah, that's 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 fun. I've often said that Christmas is great when you are a kid and when you have kids. In between, it's you know, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's a nice time off and it's a nice time to gather. But it is it is kind of a, a, a holiday made for children. It is. It's nice. So I have. I will tell you. I told you. I I got to call you Buzz. You're my uncle. You go. No, Buzz. that's fine. I, right. Like I said, I had two lives. I was Buzz in New Jersey and Ray in Kentucky, and Buzz is perfectly fine. All right. So I have to tell you a funny story really quickly. Uh, that's Uncle Buzz, by the way. <laughs> <There you go>. <laughs> <laughs> I um I listen to you guys. I told you that I've listened. To, I think almost every one of your podcasts. And that's you I, are a masochist guy. Found well, our I listener. Enjoy it. I enjoy it, and and I will tell you, I don't know where. Berea, Kentucky is, but I've heard <laughs> you pronounce it. So just the other day, I, you're going to think I'm making this up. I get this gift in the mail, this beautiful mug, and it's from a lawyer friend of mine. And he's, and there's a note and it says, this is a handmade mug by my friends at Tater Knob Pottery in Berea, Kentucky. How, How cool funny is, is that? that? Is that unbelievable? I mean, you, you can't make it up. And then I got a whole little, little thing. Now, maybe I'm giving them a free plug. I shouldn't. But no, that's cool. Yeah, Tater Knob. Isn't that funny? That is great. That's yeah. fantastic. And and no joke, Scott, literally some of the best pottery in the world comes from here in central Kentucky because I mean, the ground's so freaking hard. It's, it's no, no, seriously. Everybody's got septic problems because nothing perks. But man, it makes great pottery. That's so funny because I, yeah. like I said, I got to be honest. With you, I couldn't find Bria on a map, but I think I could find Bria pawn shop because I keep hearing. <laughs> <laughs> that is too cool. Well, enjoy the mug and use it and use it in good faith. That is great. I was talking so, to. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, please go ahead. Well, I was gonna say I deal with expert witnesses a lot, which can be boring, but. I was talking to a guy in Georgia yesterday, and uh, I said, well, just tell me a little bit about yourself. And he says, well, you know, I got to be honest with you, I live in deep south Georgia. He said, mm. we got guns everywhere. He said, I don't know about you guys in Washington, D.C. I said, well, you know, it's funny because I live in Virginia, which is, as you know, that's a southern state. Um, and Virginia is, you know, guns, guns. And then D.C. is you can't even cross the border with guns, you know. So it's, it's kind of an interesting place to live because you got – two different groups that are sort of always, you know, rubbing against each other, I guess. You sure. Say. And and that's what I often say has been my life. It's got 28 years in Jersey and now soon to be 35 years here. Um, just really, I mean, people are people. I don't mean to say two different worlds, but in terms of some of those social issues, certainly two different worlds. But you mentioned an expert witness, which would be a great lead into what your career has done, what you do. So tell us a little bit about Scott Perry Esquire. <laughs> well, I guess at, at base, I'm a personal injury lawyer, um, which is a term. Dan I an ambulance use. chaser. I'll say it before Trisden does. I was going to, I didn't even get it out, you know. <laughs> Ray, not one to bust balls. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. And, and uh, so I've been doing that for 25 years now. And, um, but I, I handle, um, I only do, I, I like to call them catastrophic injury cases. They're, they're, they're either death cases or, or you know, uh, truly amputations and permanent brain injuries and, and cases like that. And obviously my practice has, um, has sort of uh, changed over the years, but those are the, the cases that I've found myself most drawn to. I, I started out working at a big giant law firm um, and those firms always represent, you know, the big corporations. And, uh, I'll never forget, I was a young lawyer and um, we were defending these cases uh, with this pharmaceutical corporation and they just totally had screwed up. And our job was just to, I mean, we weren't going to win. It was just keep the money down as low as we could. And 
but I was traveling all over the country with these lawyers on the other side. And I'm thinking to myself, well, damn, they're, they're on the right side. My view, they're having a lot more fun Mm. and you know, and this is awesome. And so as soon as I got the opportunity to jump to that side, I I did, because you pretty much doing what I do, you, you can only represent one side. That's just sort of how it works. I'm actually not sure I knew that history, Scott. So out of law school, you went to work essentially in corporate law? Yeah, well, I clerked for a judge here in D.C. That's how I sort of got my start. He was a great guy. And um, and then I had, you know, massive law school loans. And so, yeah, I went to a big, giant corporate law firm that happened to have a, a product liability wing for bad right. or and, um, and I was defending these bad drugs. Um, mm. Yeah, but it was great because I got to see the other side and I knew that that's not what I wanted to do. You know? That's funny. And yeah. it was that that view at the other side that got you to to, to move over. Yeah. Yeah. And so then I, I switched sides and I, I and um, Buzz, you actually know Bruce. He was at my wedding. Yes. I got really lucky. I, I hooked up with a guy in D.C. who was like the dean of medical malpractice law in, in D.C. and a great guy. Um, and he sort of taught me the ropes. And, uh, and this is a true story. Buzz, you, you, you may know this. I'm trying to think of the timing. But so Tristan, I work with this guy named Bruce Cloris, credible lawyer, came from the Bronx with, you know, nothing, um, did awesome, um, made a ton of money, quite frankly, and taught me everything I knew. And then at 58, now I'm now 51, but then I was in my 20s. He takes me in one day and he says, and and we were now partners, and he says, I'm out of here. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, this is, I've been doing this for 20 something years. I'm, I've you know, I've made enough money. I enjoyed it, but I've always wanted to do one thing. And I said, what's that? And he said, I want to open a restaurant. <laughs> and he left. Well, he we worked in his little row house and he said, I'll sort of ease out. But he, he opened a restaurant that was a fancy grilled cheese restaurant that did grilled cheese and wine. And for two years, I'm doing law upstairs and he's cooking all this <laughs> stuff. Some of it smells great. Some of it smells terrible because he's learning the craft. And he opened up this restaurant. It was hugely successful. That's awesome. No, I did not know that story. That's wild. And that was Bruce. That was Bruce. And so he owned, it's called DCGC or DCDC, DC Grilled Cheese. I think that's wild. I think the pandemic sort of, you know, but yeah, so that was kind of funny. And he has one one location. Does he hope to expand or? That's exactly what he was doing. And he's got a son and he, um, he, uh, he, uh, you know, they were franchising it. I honestly don't know where they stand now, but um, I'll tell you a funny story. It's funny, but it's not. Um, (laughs) I had a case back with him. It's a medical malpractice case and it's um, uh, hysterectomy gone wrong. And we're at the deposition and you know, deposition is where you get the other side under oath. And so it's this doctor. And now our client is a beautiful woman, little tiny woman, and her husband is this big, muscular state trooper. Okay. We're sitting, and I'm a young lawyer, right? And I'm, I'm sitting there and the questions are going back and forth. It's all medicine. And at some point, um, the lawyer says to the doctor, um, hey, you know, there's this one initial in here. I don't understand what's this. And the doctor smiles and he says, um, that's a little bonus I gave her. And I see, oh, the no. look. yeah, I see a look, I see the look on the state troopers face and the lawyer says, well, what do you mean the bonus? And he said, well, I thought she was a little flabby on there. So I tightened her up a little bit. Ooh. I don't know if you know what I mean, but you know, this, vaginoplasty is now a big thing. Now this is 25 years ago. Wow. And he says, I did it for you. And he points to the state trooper. The state trooper is up over the table doctor than I have ever seen on top of the doctor. And I'm like, and I'm thinking law is boring. I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) That's wild. I'll tell you, never been able to repeat that, but you know. How did that get broken up? Like how did that, yeah. There were there were a couple of big guys in there, and and you know I was not one of them, and you know the court reporter jumped in, and and that's one you never forget. So yeah, it was interesting. wow, yeah. that's a fun day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, damn, I thought this was boring, but it's kind of fun. 
And so, Scott, you may not know this, but my brother would, Tommy would remember. So we went to Scott's wedding. Actually, Raymond, my son and I went. Uh, Brielle and, and, and Patty didn't go. Scott got married out in Southern California. Actually, as he will uh, proudly tell you, I'm sure, at Trump National Golf Course. Oh, yeah. Oh, how about yeah. that? <laughs> oh, yeah. But we were, uh, it was a wonderful weekend. It was a whole weekend. And we, Tommy and I were hard to believe uh, at the bar. And uh, I was drinking pretty heavy in those days. And, you know, when alcohol is free, you take advantage. And I didn't know Bruce. I had been introduced to him earlier in the day by Scott. True story. And Bruce comes walking over and he goes, hey, I've been watching you two Irishmen drink. Keep my number. Later, you may need a good Jewish lawyer. <laughs> True story. But um, so you said he was how old, Scott, when he approached you? 58? I think he was 58. Yeah. He so how old's Bruce now? He's up there. He's in his yeah upper sixties. Yeah. So, but so, but he's still healthy and doing well. And yeah, he's doing great. He moved actually. He moved to California, and nice. um, and his kids got both kids. He's got twins, a boy and a girl. Both got married and have kids. So he's doing the grandfather thing. He's happy. So. Yeah, please, Tris. Well, th this is fascinating, and it's a bit of a non sequitur, but uh, in relation to Bruce opening the grilled cheese restaurant, which sounds really good because there are phenomenal grilled cheese sandwiches, <laughs> you know what happens in Berea a lot, and I see this because I deal with marketing. People will save up their whole life to open a restaurant. It's their dream, and it's and it does become a dream for a lot of people because you know I think everybody has an idea of you know like bringing their family recipes or whatever you know to a wider group of folks but what i always see these people will save up all this money they'll go in debt they'll mortgage their house and they'll make like cheeseburgers with you know we're just throwing a patty on a grill the right. exact same way everybody else on earth does it and it makes me want to jump out of a window like you've mortgaged your house you know you've got a you know three hundred thousand dollar bank loan and you're making the most mediocre food of all time. So I was happy to hear that he had kind of a cool idea because the first thing that pops into my head is like, oh, meatloaf and cheeseburgers. Nobody's had that before. Like, right. right. So, well, I'll tell you the funny thing about it. First of all, I think it's the kind of thing that could probably only sur survive. in. I mean, it's amazing, but could only survive in D.C. because, you know, $14 for a grilled cheese and a glass yes. of wine. But, but the other thing is I know a guy who – He's, he calls himself a restaurant lawyer. And I said, well, what does a restaurant lawyer do? And you know what he said? And this is the truth. He goes, my job is keep is taking care of doctors and lawyers who make a lot of money and then think they can open a restaurant and screw everything up. That's funny. <laughs> and he's That's like, all funny. I do is all I do is get them out of trouble because they all fail. That is so, <laughs> so funny. funny. Yeah. Well, there's that old line about, you know, how to make a million dollars in the restaurant business. Start with two million. <laughs> yeah. There's right. that. Well, so the Scott, margins are really close. Like, yeah, it's, oh, yeah. We can move on, but yeah, it's yeah, tough no, to make absolutely. money in the restaurant business. Yeah, all food margins, even here at the bowling center, the food margins, I mean, alcohol is wonderful. The food margins are tough, yeah. man. And, you know, Scott just said $14 for a cheeseburger. I mean, here we are in central Kentucky and our menu prices are not cheap. It would be expensive to feed the family here and they probably need to go up. I mean, it's, you yeah. know, food costs are, have gone up and, you know, food is the big way. But, right. um, I mean, a, a really a simple question, Scott, that you can answer in 30 seconds. Tell us what we don't know about tort law. Uh, <laughs> so the truth is, it's it is, you know, everybody has this impression that you file a lawsuit and the insurance companies pays you a bunch of money. And the truth is, it is hard as can be. Um, and insurance companies are not in the business of paying, you know, tort, tort claimants. And so the biggest thing, you know, I, I speak at at events around the country. And one of the things I always say is that the reason everybody hears about the giant verdict is not because they're so common. It's the opposite. It's because they're so uncommon. It is so rare. And so, you know, there's this misconception out there that, you know, you file a lawsuit and they pay and it is the opposite. They fight like the Dickens. And so, you know, I always tell people, and I'll, I'll tell you this, you know, I, my, my main specialty is medical malpractice. And one year I actually did, I had my assistant do it. We, we turned down how many cases? It was something like 97 cases and took three. Wow. Um, and it's just because, you know, the system is not in the favor of the little guy, despite what we hear on TV. And, and um, you know, and these, these, these large companies have unlimited funds, right? And, and you know, so that's, 
my, my little 30 second version is it, it, it ain't easy despite what you hear on the, on the, on the shows, you know? So what, what do you look for in a case? You know, you're, we- you're weeding through a hundred cases, you know, for the three you want over time. Like what sparks that says, okay, this is one of the ones that I'm going to take. That's a, that's a great question. Susan. So with medical malpractice, here's what I always tell people. So, you know, the standard is just negligence, right? The doctor, didn't act like a reasonably prudent doctor, which is such a legal word. But the truth is, I always tell people, he or she has to have gone way off the reservation before a jury is going to hold them responsible. And, and, and the reason is, and maybe that's a good thing. I mean, as a plaintiff's lawyer, I don't want to admit that, right? But doctors in particular and hospitals get a real, uh, the jury starts really in their favor, right? Because look, they're not trying to hurt somebody, Right. Everybody knows that. And so some people say, well, it wasn't intentional. So you have to look at a case where somebody really went outside the norm. And I'll give you an example of a, I have a case now where a guy, a young guy, a 35-year-old guy was a runner, and he had a very simple toe uh, injury in his foot. Um, and he ends up at a, at a you know, there are, there are foot orthopedic surgeons, um, but he went to a general orthopedic surgeon who the orthopedic surgeon said he could do it, he could fix it, it has, it's a small surgery, no big deal. And during the surgery, um, there's a special glue that they use, a cement to graft the, the injury, the you know, to fix it. And this guy didn't have that in the operating room and literally mixed together his own paste. Wow. And put that in this guy's arm, uh, foot, didn't tell him. And then what happened is it, because it's not supposed to be there, his body rejected it. He ended up with this horrible infection. The guy loses his foot. Oh, Jesus. Wow. 36 years old. Now that's, you know, that's off the reservation in my book, you know? Um, Yeah. You you can't use Elmer's glue in the certain (laughs) opera, you know? Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, I'll tell you, sadly, right now, this is our biggest, we have a, a massive case, um, these more and more of these sex abuse cases, um, yeah. you know, they're sort of the small version of the Nasser guy, you know, the gymnast uh, right. from Michigan you know. State. Yeah, we've got a case down here in Virginia where a um, we've alleged that a um, the medical director of a hospital was sexually assaulting young women for for many years, um, and he thankfully is being prosecuted criminally now. But those are the hardest cases. Those are the hardest. That's miserable. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and every system's different, you know, Kentucky, I don't practice in Kentucky, but as you know, Virginia borders on Kentucky. Um, and I think Kentucky has a pretty good system. Virginia does as well. Different, you know, jurisdictions handle things differently, but. So a a good chunk of your job then Scott is, um, for lack of a better word, negotiating with insurance companies. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, Trial work is my favorite thing in the world. There's nothing better. But the truth is, um, you know, 90 some odd percent of these cases do end up getting resolved. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's just part of the, the way it works. And, you know, what they end up doing, you know, I generally represent people who are um, not necessarily indigent, but certainly not wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a really bad case, you know, a smart insurance company will offer enough money that, I don't want the person to take it, right? Because I'd rather go to trial, but it's too much for them to walk away from, you know? Um, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's hard. And you say 95, because th- that is something that we hear, you know, as laymen out in the public. That You know, I mean, obviously that's a rough, but but nine out of 10 cases are settled out of court. Yeah, but, and it, it, it differs by area. So, so medical malpractice is the hardest because... <laughs> Somewhere around 90% of the cases that go to trial are won by the doctor. Think about it. Wow. Yeah. And that's the first thing I tell people is like, look, (laughs) I think I'm pretty good at what I do and I got pretty good statistics, but here's what you're facing, right? So so, um, now car accidents, which I don't really do, are different, right? A rear ender, that is easy stuff. But those aren't the cases that are valuable, generally speaking, you know, Mm -hmm. They're really big cases. Um, and then the big, big cases are the, um, 
you know, plant explosions, tractor trailer cases, things like that. You know, those are the really big cases. Um, What's the biggest case you've been a part of? So I had a case, um, I'm, I'm really proud of it, but I'll tell you, so I've been on my high horse for years. I'll, I'll give you the, the case, I'll tell you the case and then I'll tell you the downside. I represented a woman 2019, uh, worked for the CIA, living here in Virginia, you know, everybody works for the something. Government. Government. And she was a high ranking CIA, um, uh, I think they call her an executive. Um, wonderful woman, married, two teenage kids, and um, she had a back injury. Uh, like anybody else, you know, and for years she had had conservative treatment and she finally goes and sees this guy who I think he's a bit of a cowboy. Um, who says, you know, Hey, we can do an operation, get you fixed. You'll be gone. You know, one day you'll be back to, to normal. And she's a very educated woman. He was an educated doctor. Um, during the surgery, you know, there's two ways to, it's kind of counterintuitive, but, um, Many back surgeries are actually done through the chest, mm. right? It depends where the injury is. So he went through the chest um, and he, this is our version of, of what happened. Obviously he disputed it, but this guy um, lost track of where he was mm. with a tool um, and he came up and he ripped open her iliac artery, um, which is a major artery. Mm. Um, I'll tell you the funny thing about this. There's nothing funny about this case, but um, he, Buzz, you may remember this. Um, one of my one of the um, guys in my wedding was a guy named Cisco. Remember him? He was kind of yes. a guy. Well, Cisco's a surgeon. Cisco ended up saving this woman's life. I he he's called in the emergency room. This woman is bleeding out on the table. Good um, lord! And he is able to close it and save her, but she had lost all of the blood in her body twice. Wow. Meaning it all came out. They put it back in and it all came out again. Um, she survived through this husband who, you know, the saint of saints. And, and I'll tell you something. If you want to learn about who's a good person, uh, man or woman, you, you, you know, I've had plenty of cases where the spouse left. And, and I got to be honest, right. I would hope I would never do it. But I'll tell you, Tristan and Buzz, until you're in that position, I kind of get it. I mean, right. some people are like, you know, and they don't say this, obviously, but I didn't sign up for this, you know, mm -hmm. because she came out of this 24-7, uh, um, completely you know, paralyzed, oh. from the neck down, can't, can no longer speak except little, little words here and there. Mm. And this is her life. And she's 40 years old now. Oh, my God. Physically, health-wise, she's going to live till 70 or 80, right? Right. It's because she's not unhealthy. And she requires 24-7 care. I mean, cannot get out of bed, right? Has to be diaper, everything. We took this case on, and um, the defense the doctor was a neurosurgeon. Um, there's a joke, and I always forget it, but it, it basically goes, the only person that God answers to is a neurosurgeon. <laughs> <laughs> and neurosurgeons don't mind telling it. Right. right. And, 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 and this guy was the, the, and the perfect picture. Slight ego. Oh my God. <laughs> and he just said, I did nothing wrong. And you guys, you know, I don't know how this happened, but it had nothing to do with me and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and I'll tell you something interesting though. So, you know, we get, deep into the medicine in these cases because mm -hmm. so we're hiring these experts. And I'll, so a case like this, just to give you an idea of why I get frustrated with the ambulance chaser expression, although I get it all the time. So this case cost us um, $350,000 to get it to trial. Now, when I say us, that means me and my law partner. And if we lose the case, we're out that money because the plaintiff ain't paying that back, right? So it's, it's a huge risk. And um, so I'm focused on the medicine and, and I'm, I get knee deep in it and that's what I do. And we're preparing for trial. And Bruce always used to say to me, don't forget about the damages, right? Because I'm focused on the medicine. And I remember hearing that in my head and I, they say, hey, you need to go speak to her healthcare aid. Now these healthcare aids is this you may you may have them in kentucky too that you know they're they're honestly usually from eastern europe or africa right they are paid minimum wage it is a 
horrible job. There's no benefits, you know. I go and meet this woman, big, heavy set woman from Africa. I talked to her for 30 seconds. She says, just let me talk, okay, at trial. And it's a big decision for a lawyer, right? Because I got all this riding and I don't know this woman from a hole in the wall and I don't know what she's going to say. But the husband says to me, trust her, let her go on trial, let her go on. So I said, okay, so we put on all these expert witnesses. We've got, I had experts from Harvard. They had experts from Johns Hopkins. This is a two and a half week long trial. The very last witness, I put this woman up and I am scared wow. to death. How's her English? English is broken English, right? Okay. Broken English. She gets up there and I, I will tell you within 30 seconds, she had that jury and all of us wrapped. And she got up there and I can't even do it. And she said, you know, I said, Amelia, um, tell me what it's like to spend the morning with, let's say Linda. Right. And she says, well, Mr. Perry, let me just tell you what I do to get her out of bed in the morning. And she goes on for about 18 minutes about everything she does. And we sat there and we go, this case is over. Mm. Because you could feel it, you know, and, and here's the best part. And this, you can't, this is the stuff you can't make up. This is like the stuff you see on TV. Mm. I said to her, well, Amelia, I said, you know, if the jury finds against you here or, or against, you know, the, the family, I said, you know, you know, there's not going to be any money to pay you going forward. Right. And she says, I understand that. And I said, well, have you thought about that? And I had not practiced this. And she said, uh, yeah, I thought about that. And she said, um, I said, well, you know, what, what happens after that? And she says, well, God put me here for a reason and I'll be here for this family as long as it takes. The money mm -hmm. means nothing to me. And, wow. and I gotta be honest, you know, even in the retelling of it, I'm like, you know, and you can imagine. Um, and she was truthful and she was honest and she felt it, right? And um, so the jury came back, um, gave us a $35 million verdict, which is mm. um, verdict I'm really proud of. Um, now here's the, with the coda, is that the word to this? Mm. So I told you I got this thing about Virginia. So Virginia is the worst state in the country for medical malpractice because they, Virginia is the only state that puts a total cap on damages oh. that the jury is not allowed to be told. And the cap on this case was two and a half million dollars. Oh, no way. Wow. Now here's the thing. People say, well, two and a half million dollars is a lot of money. Guess what? Her medical bills at the time of trial had already been $6 million. <clears throat> so this family gets almost nothing. Um, and I've, I've said to my partners, you know, now I'm getting older, but by the end of my career, I'm going to get rid of this cap on damage uh, Virginia because there's no other state that does it this way. And it's just, it's hard. Really? And you yeah. would think Virginia being filled with lawyers would be a state that would sort of take care of that. Not, not only that, you know, what I always say, Buzz, is that, you know, Virginia is not the most conservative state anymore. As you no, know. no. And, you know, if Mississippi and Alabama and, and Texas. Kentucky. Kentucky don't have these caps, then, then, then we sure as hell should, you know? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. But, but going back to the retelling of that, Scott, so you could almost say that, um, you know, the experts from Harvard, from Johns Hopkins played second fiddle to just the emotion of a story. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's, I'd love to tell you it was my brilliant lawyering, but <laughs> yeah. And I'll tell you, it's funny you said that, the emotion of the story. I got my bookcase back here. There's a legendary lawyer um, um, from Texas. And it, I read it before every trial, and the title of it is The Power of Storytelling. Wow. You know, and, and what he says is, and it's, it's sort of what you guys do too, right? He says, look, and, and me having young kids, I see this. We're like ingrained in our brains to learn from stories. And, and if I get up there and talk about medicine to seven people that, you know, could care less, right? right. All we're doing is taking them away from their regular lives. They're going to zone out. Um, but if you can create a story and put that together and it all makes sense, then you get some, you can get some traction. You know? So that does make sense. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. So you mentioned like the ambulance chaser type guys. I, one thing that, 
you know, having been a part of a couple fender benders, like it always feels like the insurance company kind of throws a kind of a low garbage offer at you. <clears throat> and I'm sure what you see is that, but exponentially with these bigger cases, like, what would your advice be? I mean, I guess irregardless of the size of the case, like you never want to accept those early offers, right? And you probably should almost always get an attorney if there's going to be a settlement involved. Or no, no, I'll be honest with you. I might surprise you here. I tell this to people all the time. Um, so I don't do the, the, the fender bender cases, but we get plenty of the calls and, and, and they're often from friends and, you know, friends of friends. And here's what I tell people, you know, if you have minor injuries, you know, busted shoulder, you know, something soft tissue, a couple chiropractor visits, and I'm going to get hated on by the ambulance station lawyers, but I don't care. <laughs> you know, lawyer's going to take a third of the settlement, right? That's the standard, right? And, you know, you can negotiate if you're willing to on your own with the insurance company. And so, you know, I tell people, look, if you got, and I'm just making these numbers up, but if you got $3,000 in medical bills, right, you know, the insurance company wants to resolve it, right? They don't want a lawyer involved. You know, if you come up with a number, and that's the hard part, but, you know, two times, three times your medical bills, and you go to the insurance company and say, pay me ten dollars or $12,000 and I'll, I'll sign a release, you know, you don't need a lawyer, in my view. Now, you know, the place where you do is if it's a permanent injury, right? And right. That, that's the hardest thing we always tell people, you know, if, if it's permanent injury, because you don't want to, because you are, you know, you're selling your case away at that point. But, but that's what I would say, you know. Um, and and I'll tell you the interesting thing, you know, this will be we'll be reading about in five years, you know, how AI is affecting things now. Oh God, it's crazy. I mean, apparently, Jesus, you know, these insurance companies are using it to sort of, I mean, they can just amalgamate massive, you know, data and say. I can tell you what this case is worth to, to, you know, the X percentage and all these things. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh yeah. That is an area that uh, is in its infancy and even the people that understand it don't understand it. And right. you know, it gets a little frightening, but it's interesting, Scott, um, you had touched on this, but you, you can kind of follow up. I had written a couple of questions, but one of them was uh, part of this type law that none of us ever think about because contingency is, pretty much paramount in all these cases is your investigating and your discovery and so forth is being paid for by you, right? By your office. Yeah. And that's right. That's right. And, and here's what I tell people. And this is, you know, I, I'm sure this is true in every state. So look, there are like, you know, if you have a really good medical malpractice case in Virginia or DC where I practice, I hope you, you let me represent you. Right. But there's probably five other attorneys that if you went to them, I can honestly tell you, hey, um, you're going to be fine with them. You know, you're going to be fine with that attorney. The problem is everybody wants to do medical malpractice because they know the big dollars are there. And so the scary thing is, yeah. you know, ending up with one of those lawyers. So one of the ways to do that, just to answer your question, is the really good lawyers, the lawyers that do this for a living, that are really, you know, know what they're doing, they'll investigate it and they'll eat those costs. If you go to a lawyer who says, yeah, I can look at your medical malpractice case, but it's going to cost $5,000 for me to look at, and I'm going to charge you for that, you're probably not with the right person. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. So I guess my question from that would be, when you say the kind of standard attorney fee would be one third of a settlement, now you'd mentioned the case earlier that you'd invested $350,000 you know, money into is that one third plus expenses or is that just one third and that's it no matter what you've done? No, it is. It is one third plus expenses. So you do okay. get, you know, your expenses back. It's really in the cases where you lose, you know, if you don't. Yeah. Um, that, that's, you know, that's the harder thing. Um, nice. And yeah. what type of advertising do you do? If well, any? I don't do, we don't do, I don't do any advertising. I don't, um, again, I am, you know, I'm just against it. Um, so well, let me stop you there, Scott. So, so do all of those? I, I'm I'm sure one of our favorite words on this show that Trisda now knows ubiquitous. <laughs> all of that ubiquitous advertising um, of both national and local, whether it's Morgan and Morgan or uh -huh. Daryl Isaacs here, call the man. I mean, you can't get away from it. And I'm much older than you guys, and I do not recall television of the '70s or '80s having one trial lawyer after another after another. But now it's just everywhere. So that bothers you as well, Scott? Oh, I hate it. I absolutely hate really. It. Oh, I hate it. And and I look. 
I'm not I'm not gonna say they're bad lawyers, but generally right. generally speaking, it's not who I would send my friend to or my family member to. You know, interesting. I mean, look, think about it. I mean, how do you to spend that kind of money? That means that you are just running a volume business, right? Where you're right. pushing it through the system, and you know it serves a purpose. I'm not gonna shit on my other you know lawyers, but it's it's not what I do, you know. Um, and and but yeah, I mean, I can tell you the Morgan and Morgan, the the amount of money that they spend is you know it's incredible, and they're 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 nationwide, um, and and they have good lawyers. It's just that it's a different model. But it is taking every case. It is every fender bender just because you're working on it. It's the Walmart of lawyering. It's I, you. You can. I, I can't say what you just said, but I'm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. That no. And sense. You think about it. I mean, if you vacuum up, you know, fifty thousand, five thousand dollar cases. Right. That's a lot of money. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, right. But that's to me. That's not the practice of law. That's that's the practice of business, which is fine. But I like to represent individuals where, you know, I take a case. We're going to be together for two and a half years. And, and you know, you know, um, I got a case right now. It's, it's the worst case I've ever done. I'll just I won't bore you with the details. But essentially, beautiful uh, husband and wife. They have three kids. She's pregnant with the fourth through medical malpractice that we allege. She ends up, she and the full-term baby end up dying on the side of the road God. with the husband in the car. Oh, my God. And this guy comes to me, and he's now lost his wife, his full-term baby, and he works at U-Haul, and he's got three kids that he's got to raise on his own. Yeah. Right? That's, to me, I mean, I could fight for that guy all day, you know? Right. Now, if I had 3,000 cases, there's no way I could do that. So, you know. Wow. Yeah. So what's the what does he allege, I guess, happened? That's a fascinating case. It's really complex. But essentially what happened is um, his wife had a condition, a pregnancy condition that the hospital was aware of. And without getting into the weeds, essentially, she needed to be delivered between X day and Y day to be safe. Yeah. And we allege, and I have to be careful because this one's an active litigation. Oh, sure. But... Um, the doctor wasn't working on day Y. Mm. He was going to be on vacation. And he says, ah, we'll push it two days. Oh, my. And the day in between is when this happened. Oh, no. so. so how many times, Scott, I, I, I would assume you have this answer. Have you actually been in a courtroom? I mean, if, if 90% are, are out, how many how many trials have you, you know, have you I'm, stood over? I'm well over 100 now. Oh, no shit, Scott? Yeah, yeah. So wow. I'm, yeah, no, I mean... You know, yeah, so I, I average about three cases, three trials a year, but my trials tend to be two to four weeks long. So that's a lot. So you've litigated over 100, ca- uh, over 100 cases. Yeah, yeah. So the obvious question next is going to be you've lost some. 100%. 100%. And not, well, I shouldn't say 100%. I haven't yeah, lost, you haven't lost 100%, 100% of them. I've never won. Scott Perry, I've lost 100% of cases. Hire me now. Where's the advertising? I'm the attorney your attorney wants you to pick. <laughs> uh, the attorney your attorney wants you to pick. The attorney for the insurance company wants you to pick. Oh, that's that funny. Awesome. That is awesome. Um, but No, and I will tell you this, and I say this all the time. My wife knows this. The high from winning a case compares in no way to the low from losing. And that there's, you know, that, that, uh, that analogy goes to sports, Scott, you talk to these great athletes, the, the loss of the Super Bowl pales, pales, uh, the win of the Super Bowl pales in comparison to the pain of the loss. Right. There are wins that I've honestly forgotten and, 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 and I've never forgotten a single loss. Wow. And they say, and I think that's a personality type because you have your guys like Derek Jeter, who I'm sure you guys are both familiar with, is very much hates losing a lot more than he loves winning. Mm-hmm. Right. So he just despises that feeling. So he's always working against that. So, yeah, that's probably more. Yeah, there's I'll, probably some people that would be different. I'll tell you, it's, you know, everybody's different. I, I think I still take this too personally after this many years. Um, but I also, and it, it kills me sometimes. My wife is like, why are you let, you know, letting us do this to you? But I think the flip side is, is to, if I started not caring, that's probably the time to stop 
stuff. When you know, sure. right? When, when I when I left Bruce or when Bruce closed up shop and I went out on my own, I met with this lawyer who was sort of a legend in Virginia, and he was in his seventies by then, and he was a great medical malpractice lawyer. And I met with him for advice, and he's. I said to him, I said, "Well, Bill, I said, you know." at what point in your career did you feel like I can relax? You know, I've made it. We're good. Um, and you know what he says? He goes, I'll, I'll let you know when that happens. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. nice. so it's just part of it. it yeah. So, <laughs> but a hundred cases, Scott, that is really impressive. I had no idea. We got to talk more, man. That's wild. So basically that is your life. You're looking at cases that go to trial. Yeah. There's nothing more fun than, than trying cases. It's, it's cool. And, and Ray, let's do this. We'll ask Scott the question, but I'd like to guess before he answers. I'd okay. like to know, and I know he knows this, which would be his. Wait, let me guess. Is this going to be money related? I would like to. I was thinking of ways I could borrow money from Scott <laughs> through the entire. Dur- I'm, what my notes over here are ways that I could ask Scott for money. <laughs> but no, I know he knows his winning percentage. Don't say it, Scott. I'd like to guess, and I'd like for Ray to guess to see. That's, but I'm gonna, it's a great question. I mean, it's kind I, of a personal question, if you don't mind to answer, Scott. If he Scott, doesn't mind but, answering, uh, but I, yeah, I would guess uh, he's won 95% of his cases. I'd say if he's I'll, done 100. I'll go lower. I'll say, because he is he does have my blood in him, so I'll go a little lower. <laughs> Fair. Um, I'll, go, I'll, I'll go 72, 70 to 75. 70%. You guys are pretty. The, the middle is right about right. It's right about eighty five percent. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so at least you get the joy of winning a whole lot more than you feel the the anger, sadness of yeah, losing. So yeah. that's nice. The, the, I'll tell you the worst part about it is the weirdest thing about what I do is, and, and this is well, it's not even. I guess this isn't the same with a, with an athlete because with an athlete, when you lose, you can look at the tape. You can say, "I did this wrong. I did this wrong." The worst thing about a trial is. You go through two and a half weeks, right? You never meet the jury, right? Because you're not allowed to. I mean, they're in front of you, but you don't know them. And they come back and the verdict is either for the plaintiff or for the defendant. And they leave. And you never get to hear, what, what did they think about? What did they decide? What went wrong? You know, and, and, and that's the worst. There's a lack of finality because you're like, well, shit, what? I don't even know what they were talking about back there, you know? I've got something I'd like to ask. Uh, Scott, Triz, do we need to work in a sponsor? Uh, you know what? Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's give Troy uh, the luxury of a commercial break here, and uh, and we'll get right back to it. So, yes, good idea. Hi, this is Tony with We Do Epoxy, and I'm looking for ugly floors. I mean, so ugly, dirt won't stick to it. We can take your ugly garage, basement, porch, or patio and turn it into a work of art in just a couple of days. Is your garage floor so ugly you keep the door closed to prevent anyone from seeing it? We Do Epoxy can fix that. Stop living with ugly concrete. Call me today at 859-582-7920. That's Tony at 859-582-7920. And welcome back. Man, Ray, this is a very fun show. Well... Uh, yeah, my nephew Scott joining us, who has uh, been doing trial law in D.C. for 25 years. So I'm sure you have this recollection, Scott, your first case. I, I mean, I DJed for 35 years, mobile DJ. I still remember the first wedding I ever did. It was up in Jersey, in Garfield, New Jersey, a bunch of Italian folks. I was scared shitless and nervous. <laughs> and in that no way compares to standing in front of a jury. I'm sure you remember your first time standing in front of a jury. That's got to be awesome. Yeah. It or, was, well, I'll tell you the, the first one. Scary I, as hell. Scary as hell. The, the first one I remember is the first one I did on my own, where Bruce said, "This is yours." Um, and uh, and yeah, I just was scared to death. And and I'll tell you that the, the um, it was a case. It, it was involving a, a woman. Actually, it was another hysterectomy case. But but anyway, the um, the doctor was just a jerk. But he really intimidated me because he was in his fifties. I'm like twenty five mm. years old. And, um, yeah, and, and I'll tell you the hardest thing about it is, and this is true, I think of a lot of, doesn't matter whether you're a lawyer, any, anytime you have to give a presentation or be a DJ or anything is, you know, I was prepared to the hilt, but I'm sitting there going, you know, people can't see me, but I got my notes in front of me. Right. You know, my name is Scott Perry. I'm, you know, and, I'm like, and once you get all that, and it took years to realize to just throw that stuff away, you know, um, it's it's yeah it's uh it's it's a helpful thing. Well, and it's like so many professions too. I would even say in mine, like one thing you literally cannot overcome, no matter how prepared, smart, whatever. Uh, not that that describes me, but your age. You know, when you're 25 years old, 
talking to people who are in their 40s and 50s, it always begins kind of with an eye roll, right? Because they've just lived so much more. So even if you're literally the best 28-year-old attorney in the world, you're still going to face a little bit of that, okay, whatever, bro, you're 28. Uh, 100%. And, and I'll tell you what's funny is this is good in my regular life, but not my lawyer life. I've always looked young for my age. And so at 25, I looked like I was 15. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you another thing, Tristan, that I learned from, you know, I, I just like any athlete would read about other athletes. I read these other lawyer books. Th- this concept, it's common sense when you hear it, but I never thought about it is being able to identify with the juror. And the example they give that I'll never forget is that, you know, Remember, you're picked for jury dude. I heard you guys, you had a podcast. Somebody was talking about jury dude, we, right? We did. <laughs> Worst thing in the world, and nobody wants to be there. There's a, um, a retired judge. You know, a lot of these cases are, are mediated, meaning that a retired judge, the parties agree to meet, and a retired judge tries to resolve it amicably. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got a saying. I love it. He says, in, in Virginia, we have seven on a civil jury, seven people. And he tells the client all the time, he says, I just want to remind you that a jury is seven people that have driver license that couldn't figure out a way to get out of jury duty. <laughs> well, Tony hears that. <laughs> no, that's great. But it's, but, and his point is, is they couldn't care less about you or your troubles, right? And he's like, yeah, think about it. Seven people that have driver's license that couldn't figure out how to get out of jury duty. <laughs> and, that and, is fantastic. And so what this lawyer writes about, though, is so how do you get um, – let's say a hysterectomy case and you've got three 70 year old guys on the panel, how are they going to give a shit about a hysterectomy Mm. case? You know? And so the idea is, is, you know, you've got to make the story bigger than what it actually is. Well, and that leads me, Scott, I listened to the podcast where you were on with the other attorney that you had sent to me and uh, it was, it was great. It was more lawyerly obviously than this. Uh, But one of the things you cited was my dad, your grandpa, uh, Raymond White Jr., who, you know, wasn't, as I've said on here, he wasn't a handyman. He didn't teach me a whole lot about building and stuff like that. But damn, the man could tell the best story, whether it was a joke or just a story. A lot of people tell stories over. I do. Most people roll their eyes. But dad could tell you a story the fourth time and he made it interesting. He was just a great storyteller. And you actually said in that podcast, you kind of took that lineage and, uh, you know, thank him for that. Oh, that's it's it's the biggest thing gift he's given me um, because it's it's all about storytelling and and you know one of the things that you learn you know one of the things I love about trial law is it's there's as much psychology in it as anything else right and, mm-hmm. and nobody wants to be told what the answer is right mm-hmm. you want to come to that conclusion on your own and so what I've learned over the years is you know you've got to feed information to people in a way where they're processing it, they've come to the conclusion. And then it's only when you have sort of unveiled it all that they're sort of agreeing with you, right? Because if we walk in there and say, you know, you need to decide this way, I'm going to say, who the hell are you? You know? Um, God, Scott. Right? That is... <laughs> That is my entire life. The reason we do this podcast is to try and uh, that one day you hope you'll say something and somebody will go, wow, when in fact, I usually get loud and abrasive and then they just go, F you, you asshole, (laughs) as Tristan will tell you. But that is so true. If you can weave a story in a way that somebody who is either ambivalent or disagrees with you comes to your side, that is a skill that is in such short supply. Well, and it's, you know, it really does go to your guys' podcast because- you know, one of the lawyers gives the example that there are certain areas that, you know, abortion is the one. Now, obviously, I don't deal with abortion, but every person in the world has a view on abortion. I don't care what your, your view is. Sure. I would venture to guess that it would be impossible for me to change your view on abortion, whatever it is. Right. Fair. And, and I think that's true of anybody. And so there are just certain topics that just are off limits. Right. But most areas you can get anybody to say, well, I kind of see your side of things, you know, but it's never going to be by saying we got it right. They got it wrong. They're assholes. You know, that ain't going to do it. Sure. Um, you know, so and, I, and I'll tell you, last thing I'll, I'll just say is, you know, in medical malpractice, we're required by law to rely heavily on experts. Hmm. Um, which are, you know, we get guys from Harvard, they get women from Mass Institute. To get into the weeds. Yeah. yeah. All of the research says 
that and, and as for, you know, in this area, our jurors are generally very highly educated, right? Because it's mostly college educated. Right. All of the research says that their education and their credentials and all that moves the needle a little bit. You know what they like the best? The doctor who just talked to them and made common sense, which is how we all communicate. Sure. Right. And so you right. can have the best guy from Harvard, but if he's an asshole, it, the guy who sees patients every day at the local clinic is going to be more convincing, you know? So. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Interesting. So I've got two more questions for you. I know we're getting a little bit close on time, which I don't have any plans. Got, but, I've got uh, a barking dog that I'm letting in. Keep going. Okay. So one of my questions would be now, Scott, you know, I'm not saying nice things to borrow money, but you're, you're obviously really good at what you do. You're a brilliant attorney. Um, but I'll send you my address after the show. <laughs> but as, as somebody that sort of falls into a stereotype job, which is salesman, you know, you get essentially all the, the shit from media. Now, lawyer is obviously one of the top jobs that you would hope your child would, would, would do. You know, it's one would assume uh, stability, financially stable, that type of thing. Does it piss you off when you're watching a show and they're making fun of attorneys? Or do you just assume that's more just the ambulance chasing guys? Like, well, that's not designed for me. Because I always hate the stereotypical salesman jokes. I'm like, man, yeah. fuck you. Yeah, or, right. How do you feel uh, about that? Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I don't know that it pisses me off. But what I will say, though, is, look, I, I, I live a very nice life. I'm, I'm proud of it. But I'll tell you something. You know, what I haven't talked a minute about is the pressure of what we do in the hours, you know. And so we say this all the time, me and my partners, that there are a lot easier ways to make a decent living than, than doing this. So, you know, it's like anything else in the world. I love it. I think it was born, what I was born to do. But you know what? You know, I got buddies that work nine to five jobs and they're happy as can be and they got a great family and they don't have these pressures. So, you know, um, it, it's like anything else, you know, right. the, the trade-offs. The trade-offs. The trade-offs. And I would assume, Scott, with medical malpractice, and I think you sort of touched on this, there's got to be some enormous egos. And those egos are being accused of malfeasance. Yeah, yeah. But 100 percent, 100 percent. And a lot of it does boil down to, you know, and I don't know if other states are the same. Virginia has this. I find it interesting. Um, you know, doctors have insurance policies, obviously, but they have what's called a consent to settle clause, which says that if the doctor doesn't consent to settle the case, the insurance company can't pay a dime. And I can't tell you how many times I've had, because I know all the defense attorneys now, we've been dealing with each other for 20 years, and they'll come right. to me and say, look, we know this is a bad case. We know we need to settle it. The doc will not consent, and he's going wow. to go to trial. Yeah, so, um, you know, that that is a that is a factor. Um, and, 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 you know, the other thing I'll say, you know, this idea of frivolous lawsuits. I mean, you wouldn't be a medical malpractice lawyer for, for long if you were bringing frivolous lawsuits. You right. Know? You just, right. You, you lose your credibility and, you know, all that. So, right. Um, do, hey, Scott, when people are, I, I assume some people interview you, do people ever ask the question that Trisden did? Like, what is your success record? Yeah, they do. I'll tell you, um, yeah. And, and I'll, I, what, what I always tell people, so there's a group, I'm going to give a shameless plug here. Um, it's, it's called the Inner Circle, um, and it's innercircle.org. Um, and actually, the, the incoming president of the Inner Circle is based in Louisville. Um, wonderful, wonderful guy by the name of Tyler Thompson, awesome guy. Um, but the Inner Circle, I got into two and a half years ago. And, and while I'm generally not a, you know, a boaster, it was the mm-hmm. proudest day of my life because it's a it's the um, hundred top plaintiffs lawyers in the country. No shit. Yeah, and I and and you can't you can't apply for it. You have to be. You got to be tapped. Yeah, it's like a secret society and right. I interviews wow, and all. Wow, that's cool. Why are you yeah. spending any time with us? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're better and, uh, than this, Scott. You're way man, better I'm, than I've this. learned a lot in this hour. That's really cool, Scott. That's yeah. outstanding, man. Scott would be yeah. on a lot of time. And, and those, those people, so I, we go to conferences twice a year. And, man, but I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you a funny story about those guys and girls. I said to my wife, you know, we, we do pretty well, to be honest with you. But uh, we went to the first one of those, and I go, you realize that we are by far the poorest people here. <laughs> oh, no shit. Oh, wow. That's wild. Well, because, you know, there's Texas, Florida, these states where they have these giant verdicts. 
Yeah. It's, I mean, these are guys that are flying in on their own planes. I mean, this is a different. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Trees, you said, you, yeah, I know we are short on time. You said you had two questions. I don't want to steal your other one. You remember the other one? Oh, no. Yeah, you're good. Um, did, did you finish that, Scott? No, no, I'm, I'm good. No, Scott, I think he was. I'm done. Yeah, no, no, oh, no. Okay. Yeah, so my last one, and this sort of, you know, this, if you listen, you know, is just a, a bit of a, a political show. Uh, so I do have one sort of political question. As an attorney, I thought you might have a unique uh, perspective on this. But, man, the balls on Jack Smith to do what he's doing um, to take Donald Trump to trial. Like, I, I, I thought a lot about that. I saw a bit about it on CNN last night, and man, you're really opening your whole family and yourself up to a whole lot more pain than reward for doing that. I mean, what do you think of doing something like that yeah, nationally where you're going to be hated by half the country? And and to be honest, you're doing it on a government salary, so he's not even, you know, right. he, 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 I don't know. <laughs> not man. flying his own private jet. Right, right. right. Yeah, I, you know, there are, look, I, there are people out there that are just true believers, and I, I give them credit because, you know, I've never worked in the government, but I think that, you know, I'm no expert on it, um, but I agree with you, Tristan. I mean, what he's opening himself up to, and 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 the, you know, the, I mean, oh, I don't know. It's it's just unbelievable. Um, it's it's a different world that they're going to be. He's going to be facing afterwards. Um, it is, and that is true. You instantly alienate half the country. I never really thought about it in those terms, Triz. But that's a. That's a great point. He, I mean, he's just, obviously he's a serious man. Is your hey Scott? Is your office still in DC? No. So I have a I have a an office in DC, but I spend all my time uh, in Arlington, which is as you know, it's six miles from the DC line. I can see DC, so it it allows me to cover both both areas. But I I live five miles from my house and or from my, my office. So. Yeah. All right. So here's a really uh, outsider's question, but as a political lover, uh, how much politics is talked in Washington D.C.? Well, it's funny you say that. <laughs> you know, my dad, Buzz. You know, my dad. I mean, for years, dad, anytime that something happens, my dad calls and says, "Well, what are people really talking about?" I'm like, "I don't know what you mean by that. I live, you know, in a neighborhood with kids, and the answer is none. There's nothing, you know." But what I thought you were going to say though is, you know, maybe this is for another show. I mean, you know, I listen to you guys. And, Kentucky and, and, you know, but Virginia is fascinating to me politically because, you know, we are as purple as it gets. Mm -hmm. and it, is, it is fascinating because, you know, we live in Northern Virginia, right. Um, which is generally, which is blue, which is blue, blue. you know, liberal. Yeah. Um, I go down, we have, we have a house about an hour and a half down in central Virginia and it's still nothing, you know, but Trump flags and fuck Biden and all right. that kind of stuff. And right. it's, you know, we're talking 60 miles, you know, sure. and, and I'm sure you guys see it. And so, the you know, it's fascinating because, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in Virginia. It, it's really interesting. Yeah. And then Triz has Virginia roots that are in Appalachia, which is even yeah. a, another whole section yeah. in the same state. So you're right. It's That's really it. interesting. Yeah, Scott, if you're looking at the map of Virginia, as it comes to the teeny little point yeah. at the western edge, that yeah. is where I was raised pre-college. Really? So, 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 Tristan, are you familiar with Abingdon at yeah, all? definitely. But I got to tell you something funny. I shouldn't admit this, but we were about to bring a case in Abingdon where I've never been. And my partner, who's in his 70s, said to me, if you want to lose the case, just file it in Abingdon because there's no, you're never going to win a case in Abingdon. Right. <laughs> but he also... He also was kidding. He said, and maybe this is true. He said, the other problem is from where I live, you basically have to fly to Tennessee and then drive back to get yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, That's most funny. definitely. So is that coal country? Is that where you're from down there? Or it not is, really? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because it's kind of close to Harlan, which is probably the most famous coal area sure. in the wor world, I would think. That's wild. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Areas that have certainly fallen on hard times. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's tough. Not coming back. Scott, man, this was enormously entertaining, um, really informative. Yeah, we need to do it again, and, and we can talk politics. That would be fun because I yeah, know you've got your views. And you you uh, say you guys in D.C. really don't, so we'll give you a chance to do that. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you that my, my law partner, uh, Don Scott, is the just became, as a result of this last election, the first African-American Speaker of the House for Virginia. No uh, shit. I saw yeah, that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And it's going to be fascinating because he's obviously Democratic, and but we still have a Republican governor. And uh, 
he's got big plans. So yeah, I'd love to talk about that sometime. Wow, oh, that'd be a blast. That he's is fantastic. Guy, let me tell you something. We got a, he's got a story to tell. I mean, have you, you ever read his bio? He no, no, but I will. Yeah, let I me tell you. Will. Thirty seconds. Grows up in Texas, single mom, um, raises him right. He gets himself into law school, is putting himself through law school, is having trouble with money, and he, he's the person who admits this, gets into some trouble with drugs to, to, mm. get, uh, to get through law school. He ends up in a federal prison for seven years. Wow. Comes out, gets his law degree, and creates a successful law practice and now is the speaker of the house of Virginia. How crazy. Wow. That's crazy. But he's got stories. Yeah. And you, unbelievable. And what did you refer to him as a law partner? He's my law partner. Yeah. So we, I have, I have, you know, five law partners and he's really, one, he's not local. He's, he's down in Portsmouth, Virginia, but we sort of cover the state. Um, but his name is Don Scott and he's a great guy. Yeah. That's is incredible, Scott. Yeah. 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 So, good. Well, I just want to say thanks guys. This has been, a lot of fun for me. I really, really has. Yeah, Thanks, really yeah. has. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Scott. It, it really is. Hey, can I tell a really tasteless joke that might segue with this discussion? And 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 Trizan, if I may, again, like I, if I ever say anything racist, I, what I say is this is what a racist would say, not what I would say. This was a Gilbert Gottfried joke. I love it. And you know how your buddy Gilbert could tell a joke, right? So we're going to have to get Troy to edit this episode, What is what you're saying, so Scott and I won't uh, lose our I credibility. So. But it does sort of tie in. Uh, you may know this joke, and I can't do the Gilbert Gottfried voice, but Gilbert said there was this uh, this guy gets a call that his wife's been in a terrible car accident, and he rushes to the hospital, and um, the you know there's hours spent, and the doctor finally walks out and says, Sir, I've got some bad news. Your, your wife is alive, but... She's going to, it's, it's going to take constant care, 24 hours a day. You're going to have to feed her, bathe her. You're even going to have to wipe her behind. And the guy's just broken down. He's like, oh, my God, this is terrible. This is horrible. The doctor goes, I'm only fucking with you. She's dead. <laughs> so there you go, Scott. <laughs> oh wow! Oh man! Oh, I don't know why that occurred to me during this show, but all right. Well, it's kind Scott, of fitting to the, to the wonderful human that you referred to earlier. <laughs> I'm a wonderful human. No wonder I have no friends. Hey, Scott! Happy New Year to the family. I hope everyone is good. I certainly hope we get to see each other in the new year. I uh, love, love to Joanne and to the Snyders. You know, you've, you've got a great family and uh, we just don't see each other enough. And was I right? We're 12 years apart, right? 72. Yeah, exactly. 72. Or- Which is so funny, Scott, because when, you know, it, it seemed like you and Tommy, uh, T- Scott's uncle and my brother, who gets mentioned a lot in this show, um, who probably could have been an attorney, Scott. He's yeah. got one of the oh, yeah. best intellects of anybody I know. And never tell him that, please. <laughs> but Tom teaches, has taught English literature forever and has read every fucking book on the planet. But he seems so much older than you when, you know, you were three and he was 11 or whatever it was. And now you're basically peers and contemporaries. Oh, dude, I'll tell you, turning 50 screwed me up, though, because turning 40, <laughs> you can't get away from it, but. Well, but you I don't, don't look it, and I think well, Trey's young. That. Yeah, you're a young-looking fifty. I would, yeah. have, I would have thought like my age or younger, and I'm well, forty-three. So I, I, I always say having a, a nine and a five-year-old helps keep you. <laughs> sure, no yeah. doubt. Yeah. Well, love to all, Scott. Tristan can explain to you what you need to do before you get out of here. And it was really, really wonderful, and uh, would love to do it again. Great, and Tristan, great to meet you. Absolutely, Scott. You too. It was a pleasure, and I've just emailed you my Venmo. <laughs> this guy uh, was, a, was a pleasure, Scott. You too. Thanks. <laughs>